Welcome to the Life Podcast, where we offer real hope to real people dealing with real life. We filter our thoughts through God's thoughts and our ways through God's ways. We pray you're blessed by this podcast. Enjoy the show. This is Dez Oops coming live from the Life Podcast Show. Um, Delano Squires. Delano Squires. Most of you all have never heard of him, but this guy has been a bulwark, a pioneer um, for the cause of the Black nuclear family. He speaks about manhood. He speaks about adolescence. He speaks about what's needed for a boy to become a man. In this episode, I want to talk about and highlight some of the things he said I also want to highlight something that Tony Evans said, um, and then I want to share a little soliloquy, a discourse that I wrote that I think is going to challenge uh, a Finn, but hopefully build up many people, especially the brothers who was listening to me. Um, I'm thankful for my life and for the men God has put in my life, like my Uncle Lonzo, who taught me what biblical manhood looked like. I got to see the example. He gave me valuable lessons that I would say... Uh, transfer to every part of life. So I'm just a beggar looking for food. I found some and I'm just giving it to another beggar. What's graciously has been given to me, I graciously want to be, I want to give it to someone else. Um, what I have, I freely give. Um, I've freely been given and I want to freely give. So this first clip of Delano, he's going to be talking about what happens. Sorry, paper. He's going to be talking about what happens when Fathers abandoned their God-given roles. My uncle, Alonzo Pastor Oots, once told me that when God created man, he gave him three things. Here they are. He gave them a work to do, a word to obey, and a woman to love. A work to do. We see that in Genesis 2.15, to work and keep the garden, protect it. A word to obey, do not eat of the fruit in the middle of the tree, the tree of life. The day that you eat it, you will surely die. And a woman to love. A woman to love. Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In God's great design, he gave man work first. The Bible clearly teaches us a man who does not work should not eat. The Bible also says a man who does not work is worse than an unbeliever. So a man's job is intrinsically, um, I would say, entrenched in his DNA. What a man does um, is a part of his identity. A man must work, provide, protect what God has put under his realm of influence, his leadership, his authority. All delegated, though. All man's authority is delegated, by the way. He also gave him a word to obey. A man is truly not a man until he submits himself to the lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true man. And you get to see what true manhood is by looking and observing his life. He confronted, he loved, he cared for, provided, protected, 
sacrificed and gave up his life for those whom he loved. He was kind, gentle, and patient with those who opposed him. That's what a man is. Meekness, power under control. He was clothed in power. He was God Almighty. He is God Almighty. And he served those with his power. That's what men do. <clears throat> and a woman to love. When a woman comes into a man's life, she only makes him better. She should. A woman makes a man more than what he is. And it makes her more than what she is. They're compatible for each other. They complement each other. Um, one submits to the other while the other one uses his authority to serve her. And then they bring children to this world and they give their life for those children so that they may know the gospel. They may know the Lord and continue what the father and the mother established into other generations that will fill the earth one day with the glory of God through godly families and godly churches. That's the plan. That's the vision. Now, Delano Squires is going to tell us exactly what that looks like when we do not follow God's design. It leads to the abdication of responsibility, the abandonment of fathers, and the destruction of society. Let's listen to what he has to say really quick. This is a great point. He is talking at the National Conservatism Conference in Miami, Florida. This was last year, September 2022. So wait, let's, live, let's listen to what he has to say about what happens when fathers abandon their God-given roles. All right. I'm going to mute my screen so that you can hear clearly. Here we go. Men trade the nuclear family and multi-generational legacy for intentional co-parenting and multiple partner fertility. What happens to women and children when men discharge their God-given responsibility to provide for their offspring onto an ever-expanding all-payer state that is more than willing to take up residence and exercise authority in their home? We know what happens because we see the results all around us. At worst, a wasteful son will cause his parents heartache. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a, a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Prodigal fathers, on the other hand, leave children and their mothers vulnerable, both to poverty and the predations of other men. Put simply, Absent men make women and children less safe and secure. This is why you see multiple references to God's care and concern for widows and orphans in the scriptures. On average, men are larger and stronger and more aggressive than our female counterparts. This is why we build structures and fight wars. It's also why we have carried the weight of providing for our wives and children on our shoulders, both figuratively and literally, since the beginning of time. There it is. There it is. I love simplicity. I love common sense. He is not saying anything that's above a third grade level. And we need that in our culture. We need simplicity. We don't need ambiguous statements. We don't need gray areas. We just need someone to say what God says about a matter. That's what Christians do. We literally just say what God says about the matter. Our body mass, our muscular, um, skeletal system, physiologically how we made up when you just look at a man he's there to protect he's different than a woman now there's a perverted manhood out there that uses his muscle to beat and to subject those under him 
that he rules over them like a Gentile, not like how God would want us to do. But it doesn't change what God is calling us to do. Bad examples don't take away from good principles, ladies and gentlemen. Bad examples do not take away from good principles. Going into the next clip, he's going to talk about um, how we have gotten so many prodigal fathers. How did this happen? But before we get there, remember, God created Adam. He gave him a work to do, a word to obey, a woman to love. When a man does not do that, he's not fulfilling his role as a mature man. Now, a man may not ever get married. There's spiritual units for a reason. Some men do not get married, but he still has a responsibility to other women and children in his church, in his neighborhood, and in his family. He's not absolved of responsibility. That does not mean he gets to go to work, live selfishly, spend money on his cars, his clothes, his video games, his, his going out, whatever it may be. He still has a responsibility to live out life like Jesus Christ lived his life, who had no children, who had no wife while he walked on earth. Same as Paul. He's to lay down his life for the women, children, church he's involved in, in any capacity that he possibly can. His life is not his own. That's the crust. That's the baseline of Christianity. You, you are not your own. You've been bought with a high price. So a man must fulfill in some way his cultural mandate, the mandate God has given him to lead, love, protect, and provide for those under his influence. Now, I do think the Bible's deferred or default setting or position is for men to marry because it makes them grow up. And we see that men don't want to grow up with the super delayed marriage rate. Most men, I didn't get married till I was 20. I just celebrated three years, 28. Until I was 28. Sorry, that was my phone. Um, so, yeah. Our, our, our grandparents were getting married at 18, 19. Now, it's speculation if they should have did that. Was it wise or not? But it makes you grow up. It makes a man intrinsically know, I need to, part of, I need to put childish things away and live for my family, live for my wife and my children. And when men abandon that, you get delayed adolescence, you get abdication of responsibility, and you get men thinking that they're not worth anything. That creates angry, effeminate, dangerous men. Well, in essence, what the Bible say, worthless men. So we have a duty to let men know how important they are and oh, are they important. Oh, how important they are. Brothers, I want to tell you, you are important. You matter. We need you. We need you to step up and do what you're supposed to do. Have children. Get married. Seek good jobs. Make money. Lay down your life. We need it. This next clip, Delano is going to talk about how we have gotten so many prodigal fathers. He's going to lay out a lot of things, a lot of things that's really essential to us, really, us realizing how important it is that this, this, it is a spiritual battle. We don't fight against flesh and blood. There's a reality behind Satan not wanting men to live out their God-given roles because if they do, God's kingdom shines brighter and brighter and people see that there's hope. But you get the man off his game and things get bad. Things get a little testy. So it's, 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 it's a spiritual battle, but it can work its way out in political, environmental sociological, whatever you want to say, whatever those terms you want to bring up, it can play its way out of that because we know Satan is the prince of his air. He controls the media. He has a level of sovereignty over it. 
he's not ultimately sovereignty god sovereign god is but he does have a level of influence and he uses that influence to deceive drastically those who are under his care so those who follow him so i'm gonna share my screen again uh delano is going to talk about again how have we gotten to so many prodigal fathers how does this happen so take a look what he has to say and i'll come back and i'll comment on it and uh we'll go for the i'm gonna mute my mic any prodigal fathers it's a good question one factor has been the decades-long demonization of men from politicians academics activists and corporations who believe that oppressing men is the most fundamental desire oppressing women excuse me is the most fundamental desire of men These people see the decline of men's educational attainment, workforce participation, wages, cultural and political influence as net benefits for the sisterhood. The net effect has been mass demoralization and, mas and emasculation of the American male. College students in 2016 needed coloring books and comfort animals to deal with uh, the results of an election that they didn't agree with. And now grown men speak in the language of personal therapy. References to trauma caused by minor disputes abound in our political discourse. Yeah, I can testify to that. When I was at Gordon College in Boston, Massachusetts, um, President Trump won the election in 2016. And in chapel, it was mayhem. I mean, people crying. They under the pews. They boohooing. Men, young men, 18 to 21 years old. It was a nightmare. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Life is meant to be hard. The American male, Houston, we have a problem. I was like that. I'm still, if my father was here, I am still very sensitive. And I'm not saying sensitivity isn't necessarily masculine. God can use it uh, to be sensitive towards the needs of others. But it's a time when you need to buck up, stop all that crying, grow up. Real men do cry, by the way. Jesus wept. God has sorrow. God has emotions. But should it be as much as a woman? No. Should it always be public? No. Can it never be public? Yeah, it can. Should it always be? No. Remember a while back, my wife was showing me Tyrese getting on the screen. On his Instagram, crying about whatever it was. I don't even know. I'm like, bro, that's not, that's, that's not it. That's not it. That ain't it. Some things you just got to go to God with and deal with it, right? So I, I can testify to that whole therapy. So many men in therapy and, and need to see a therapist and talk about their mental health. You see this in the NBA. And I'm like, this is foreign to me. This is foreign to me. And, and I know the objection is, well, that's the problem with most men now because they don't talk and they hold up all that stuff. They need to talk. People don't really want men to talk. People don't want to really hear what men has to say. That's just true. If a man talk too much, he's complaining. If a man doesn't talk, he's angry. Men do need to talk, but in a community where it can be trust, where it also can be accountability to say, okay, now that you got all that out, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to change this? Well, as my uncle say, what is the game plan? What is the game plan? You want to make more money? What's the game plan? You want to be a better husband? What's the game plan? You want to stop struggling with sexual morality? What's the game plan? You want to be a pastor? 
What's the game plan? You want to be a better teacher or a better professional? What's the game plan? What things are you putting into practice to make that happen? Because we are men of action. That's one thing I learned. We are men of action, which leads to my next point. Um, hmm. Here's a good definition of a man. A real man accepts responsibility. He rejects passivity. He leads courageously and he lives for the greatest reward, God's reward. Instead again, a real man accepts responsibility. He rejects passivity. He leads courageously. He lives for the greatest reward, God's reward. In the scope of that, God gave him a work to do, a word to obey, and a woman to love. That's seven things that somebody can sink their teeth in and start working towards. And we get that from Genesis. We don't get that from culture, even though they're all cultural implications. But we get that from Genesis, from the beginning. In the beginning, God created man. He created him in his image, male and female. He created them. That's our baseline battle for the beginning. That's what we believe as Christians. And if God creates something, he created it with a purpose. Obviously, to glorify God and to enjoy him. So when a man works, he's to do it joyfully. When a man submits to God's word, it should be joyfully. Not always, but it should be. When a man loves his wife, it should be joyful. Not obligatory, but joyful, willing, sacrificial love. And you got to grow into that. Paul Washer says something that's really interesting. He says, when a man becomes a Christian, he not only becomes, and he never he not only comes into relationship with God, the father and his son, he also comes into a special relationship with God's word where he joyfully submits and obeys God's word. And I think that's true. It is a joyful thing. Is it always joyful? No, it's painful sometimes submitting to God's word, but at the same time, it's for your good. For the joy set before Jesus, he adored the cross. So as a man, though, their cross is to bear. There's, their cross is to bear. But there's also glory to obtain. That's why we live intentionally for eternity, people. I love Delano Squires, the way he put th- puts things so succinctly. Let me stop sharing. He puts things so, so succinctly in a way that you can grasp and understand. And I love that. So here's my, here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts. We have gotten so far away from the Bible in the American church. We turn to psychologists. We turn to Jordan Peterson. We turn to Kevin Samuels. We turn to preachers. That's not really preachers. They just kind of got the, they got the title. We turn uh, many, many pastors are Ted talkers. Now they want to be your friend, but God didn't call us to be, now we are called to be friendly and we are called to love those who we are shepherding, especially pastors or whoever we have on our influence, but People need to be challenged to think biblically. When the Bible and God's word is not taken seriously, God's not taken seriously. And it leads to the devastation of many because God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. God is serious about his glory. He made humanity for his glory. He made Israel, his chosen people, for his fame, his praise, his honor, and for his glory. If a man is not living for Christ, he's living for himself. 
because man is a horrible God, he's going to devastate not only himself, but everyone under his influence. A strong revival needs to be turned to true biblical masculinity. When you do not heed what God has to say about what it is to be a man, it's devastating consequences. And it needs to be ta- it needs to be said. It needs to be said. So here's my thoughts. I'm not paid for that. <laughs> People no longer heed what the Bible has to say about biblical masculinity. The real definition of a man is tainted, lost, and perverted, leading to the abuse or misuse of authority or the abandonment of authority. Both lead to drastic, devastating, and perilous consequences. As a side note, the rise of feminism in our world is directly correlated to this point. Genesis 3, from the Christian perspective, details it perfectly. When men, like the first man, Adam, abandoned their God-given roles and responsibility, they naturally turned their masculinity over to women who, because of the fall, seek to usurp and take the covenant authority and rule God wisely gave to man. The rise of homosexuality, radical feminism, transgenderism, and promiscuity lies at the feet of man. (laughs) And because man is not living accountable to God's word and his laws, you see what happens. Men not leading spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally has devastated has devastating consequences and has devastated the nuclear family. When men fail to step up and lead, but rather resolve themselves of their responsibilities, it leaves in wake weak, effeminate, soft, indecisive, angry, and immature sons, while simultaneously producing radical feminists, promiscuous, loud, disrespectful, unsubmissive, and vulnerable masculine weak daughters. It produces the generation we have now, violent, immature, promiscuous, sexually charged, immoral, immodest, disrespectful, apathetic, dishonoring, hateful, shameful, illiterate, sexually perverted, unwise, emotionally unstable, suicidal, weak, godless, and dangerous children. Simply put, it produces a generation that has no fear of God before their eyes. And yes, it all falls on the man. This type of abdication of leadership gives rise to Megan Fox and Gabrielle Union and Jamie Lee Curtis, evil and wicked women who defy God, his creation, his design, and all things good, but play it off as a good and free thing. But this could not happen without the D-ways of the world, of course. Passively sitting in the corner, quiet as these women advocate the mutilation and slaughter of children's bodies, honestly calling evil good and good evil. This is the result of passive leadership. But please don't be deceived. Godly manhood is not the preferred or default setting. Because we live in a fallen world, what's true, good, and right is fiercely opposed. The paragon of the of true biblical manhood, Jesus Christ, 
was hated, rejected, and killed by the men of this world. It is much easier to be a godless man rather than a godly man in our world. Real men oppose evil, stand for truth, reject passivity, live courageously, and are undeterred from their devotion to Christ. They push back the darkness and uphold what is true and good. They they protect their families, lead them in integrity and truth, and influence them into godliness. The world hates those type of men until they need those types of men. When things go woefully bad, those men become premiums. As the darkness gets darker, those men become burning lights. But it is a cause to being that type of man in our society. Be ready for persecution, but live with unwavering hope. It all rests on the man. It all rests on the man. Families are at stake. Children are at stake. Women are at stake. Civilizations are at stake. Churches are at stake. I would say God's glory is at stake, but God's glory will reign no matter what. If men refuse to worship him, the rocks will cry out. But it does glorify God when men fulfill their God-given role. I know it's hard. We can talk about women. We can we can talk about their roles and how they make it hard at times. But God came to the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Not Eve, where are you? He didn't even say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? This is challenging to me as much as it's challenging to you. Writing those words are tough. It's tough. It's not easy. But it's true. And you know it. You just turn on your news. Go to your social media reels. You'll see our kids are bug wild. I'm a teacher. I see it all the time. They buck wild. No guidance, no wisdom, no morality. Heartless, heartless. Now, some of that is because they just sinners, right? They sinful. So some of that is, is, is in them. It's in them. But it's no calibrating measure because dads aren't there teaching them, son, daughter, this is how you act. Son, daughter, this is how you dress. Son, daughter, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Son, daughter, I love you, so don't search for it in another boy or another girl. Don't even search for it in in yourself. I have love for you, and God's love is sufficient for you. When they get wayward, you discipline them. You correct them gently, graciously, in love, but you do it firmly. You exhort them to godliness, to devotion. What I'm saying is not, not rocket science, and it's not something that I made up. It's from the Bible. It's from the Bible. Let me share with you what I mean. Most people, when they talk about manhood, they go straight to Colossians and Ephesians. Um, but I think Genesis eighteen twenty nine is a little bit more clear. Genesis eighteen nineteen. Sorry, Genesis eighteen twenty nine. This is God reaffirming the covenant with Abraham and saying how this covenant blessing will come to him. Listen to what he says, for I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for, I'm sorry, bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Simply put, 
the spiritual leadership of your children is for the man, not the woman. The woman is not the leader in her home. The, the, the woman is not the leader in devotion. And the woman should not be up getting kids ready for church. It should be the man. It should be the man. It's not the woman. That's not what she does. She is a helper. She's to help you. Help compliment you in your work, your devotion to God. She is not the one to lead in the spiritual maturation of your children. She is to help. You are primarily responsible as the man. It is not on her. And so many men leave that up to the woman. And thank God for Pastor Oots and Pastor Zach and other pastors in my life that hold me accountable. It is you. You hold family devotions. You pray for your children. You disciple them. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of God. You go through scripture with them. You read with them. It's about you. And yes, it's tiring. Yes, it's sometimes it don't even feel like you're making any headway with your children, but you do it because God's faithful and he commanded you to do it. But in our culture, the women are the one getting the children to, to church. Women, boy, they take kids to church in a minute. So they'll go to the police. They go to the pastor. <laughs> they go to the pastor. They don't even go to the police. They bypass law enforcement with their sons. They take them to the pastor because it's just something about God's word. That's a calibrating effect. It just is. Even if you had a bad church that don't teach the truth doctrinally, it's something about when you grow up in church, you have this sense of moral and what day you say, you know, God watching you, you know, God watching you, right? You know, he can hear your thoughts. It's just something about that that helps you like not go so, but so far. You know what I mean? Once you get older and you don't stop going to church, you maybe never go back. But while you're there, it's like this level of, you know how you should conduct yourself. Is a way that you should conduct yourself. So I'm excited about that, but it's 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 clear throughout the Bible that the man is to not just lead by providing for his children, a home, clothes, all that type of stuff. That's basic. The reward of a man is to have children walk in the way of the Lord. Psalms is riddled with with passages like that. My heart towards summer, winter, and Macy is for one day to to walk with the Lord faithfully, seriously, devout. For God to be their all in all, for them to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's my earnest desire for them. I want my wife to walk in holiness and purity. And the Bible says I got to wash her in the word for that to happen. So even my wife is under my influence to teach her God's word. It's on the man. But we don't teach that. And if we do, we don't hold men accountable. It's all on you. But look on the positive side. When it goes well, you get praise. And then you give that praise to God. You get to share in God's glory. And it will fulfill you. It'll be more satisfying than sex. More satisfying than money. More satisfying than fame and glory. Now, the temptation will be there to still want those things. But if you're really being changed and renewed in your mind and walking with the spirit, it'll be satisfying. It'll be satisfying. Now, the other side of that is if men do not step up to that, judgment comes. Judgment usually comes to a nation when men, when, when men heart, when man's heart becomes so unteachable and so sinful that they refuse to turn to the Lord. And you see it in Sodom and Gomorrah, you see it in the prophets, you see it, and then you're going to see it in Revelation, 
the heart of man, obviously we get in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the most deceitful thing on this earth is the, the heart of man. It's deceitful above all things. Who knows how bad it is? Only the Lord, right? And usually a judgment comes when people are no longer responsive to God and God can find no faithfulness in the land. Intriguing, it's an intriguing passage in Ezekiel 22, 30. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you hear kind of remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah where God says to Abraham, well, Abraham pleased with the Lord, man, if it's 25 people in this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare it? God says, yes. Well, what if it's 20? Yep, I'll spare it. 15, I'll spare it. 10, I'll spare it. Five, I'll spare it. One, I'll spare it. Abraham knew it was no righteous person. Now his nephew was there a lot who he wanted to get out. I think that was his main concern. But there was not one righteous person for the Lord to spare that town. They had all turned to their own way like sheep. They had gotten so sinful that the Lord himself came down to destroy it. And that's the same theme you see. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Ezekiel. No man to stand in the gap to say, I'll be faithful. I'm a faithful man. And the Lord can use that man to spare a whole nation. But when you have a nation riddled of irresponsible, wicked, degenerate men, judgment is probably coming. I don't know where we stand in the United States. I'm not no prophet. I'm not going to say judgment's coming because God can do a revival. And that's what I'm praying. I'm more optimistic and pessimistic because men starting to get it. Seriously, I'm around some men that's faithful and that is hope. So God always has his remnant. But listen to this passage. <laughs> Ezekiel 22, 30, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Kind of hit Romans, right? No one does good. No, not one. No one is righteous. All have fallen away. A judgment on the land is when men are absent, when men follow their own desires passions. They no longer live for the glory of Christ. They live for the glory of them. And they're enslaved by their sinful passions. And they become decadent. They become um, um, just worthless. Become worthless. They're good for nothing. And half of that is because their voices have been silenced. People don't want real men. People don't want real men. This society would rather have homosexual men, non-binary people, women, but they don't want men, men who stand and say, thus says the Lord. They really don't want that, but they don't even want regular men who say, you know what I mean? I do think that a woman should be submissive. I do think that my wife is there to help me. I do want my wife to stay at home and raise my children. They don't even want men like that. They cancel men like that. That just stand on traditions, not even Christian, just traditional views. They don't want men like that. Man, I put out a post on Facebook three years ago during the Super Bowl when they had like men can do everything, women can do it, women can do everything men can do. And they was trying to, I guess it was like one of those greater Gatorade commercials. And I think I put out like men and women are different and women cannot do everything a man can do. We are made, we're built, built different. Then I woke up to like 200 comments. People were limit, livid because I just stated the obvious. A woman cannot play football with other men who work out and hit. They would die. They have things in their bodies that cannot take that type of trauma. 
that type of impact and collision. It's just true. And people are offended by it. People are offended by it. People are offended by true masculinity because it challenges, it's strong, and it's unwavering. It's unapologetic. And we don't want that. And when you have a nation that's absent of these type of men, it quickly goes down. That or perverted authoritarian, like authoritative men, either way, the devil is happy with either one of them. If he can't have, you know, someone who takes it by force, like a Hitler, he'll have someone like Aslam who, you know, gets soft men around him and he kind of coerces them and talks about their feelings with them and, you know what I mean? Either way, he has many he has many schemes and tricks, but there's only one narrow way to become a true man, and it's through the door of Jesus Christ. And if you walk in with Christ, your convictions will show up, and you will stand for what's right, or you won't be able to live for yourself. You wouldn't be able to live with yourself, for sure. If you're a real man, you can't see wrong and not say anything, regardless of the consequences. And there's personal testimonies I can share, but I'm not going to get into that. I think what I'm saying is, it's it's just a reality. It's just a reality. But on a brighter note, on a brighter note, there is hope. Christ-likeness is our hope. Christ-likeness is our hope. Let me share my screen one more time. Well, a couple more times, actually. Ain't just one more. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. <clears throat> before a man is saved by Christ, before a man is saved by Christ, he has no or limited power, no or limited desire, and no or limited spiritual strength to do what God is calling him to do as a man, husband, and father. But faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Upon hearing the word of God, the unadulterated gospel, that compels a man to turn from his sin and flee to the mercy, grace, and forgiveness found in Christ, the man is made new. God gives him a new heart with new desires, a renewed will, and a new spirit to live out his God-given responsibility. He comes into a personal relationship with his father and creator, God, who teaches him how to walk humbly before him with joyful obedience and drawing strength from God's mighty power Draw strength from God's mighty power. Um, I do this every time. Uh, to resist passivity and walk courageously in the face of a world that rejects true biblical masculinity. He no longer walks by the flesh or by sight, but now walks by faith and the spirit who produces the fruit of the spirit in his life. Simply put, simply put. Philippians 1, I'm sorry, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The man can live in power over life's crippling circumstances. He can now walk in the newness of life where he has a renewed perspective on life, knowing, as Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out until the completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. Listen to this. As a father and husband, 
he now has an example of godly parenting because he is to model God, the father, to his children. He rejects all excuses, past sins, and past regrets. He casts his burden on Christ, knowing Christ cares for him, and resolves to influence all under his tutelage to devote themselves to God with reverent fear and awe. He is not perfect, but he is <laughs> progressing. He knows who and who he is, as Psalms 1 and Isaiah 66 says. He meditates, he trembles at, and delights in God's grace, love, and truth. That's the type of man a wife needs. That's the type of man children need. That's the type of man the church needs. That's the type of man the world the world needs. That's the type of man God desires. <laughs> hmm. Men like that change the world. From the inside out, little by little. They don't want to be successful. They just want to be useful. I just want to be useful. If no one knows my name, but knows the one who I serve, get to a place where I'm okay with that. I would be lying to say, I don't want to be known, that I don't want glory, that I don't want to go viral. I'll be lying. That's in my heart. But if God's name is glorified and it helps and encourages people listening to me, I'm okay. I just want people to know Christ. That's what a real man wants. Real man accepts responsibility, rejects passivity, leads courageously and lives for the greatest reward, which is God's reward. I want to end with a clip from Tony Evans. Godly man, been pastor in church for 50 years. Love him to death, man. I can't wait to see him in glory or at his church in Texas. Um, doing great work for the kingdom. He was one of the first pastors I listened to upon coming to Christian. He has an all-time famous uh, clip that I want to share with you that's going to really concepu conceptualize everything that we talked about. It's going to capture everything that we've talked about and the effect of biblical manhood. So I'm going to bring it up. Please listen carefully to what he's saying. Uh, I love this brother so much. Um, listen to what he says, then I'll come back and we'll end the show. All right. So I'm mute my mic. God says in Malachi chapter four, verses four through six, he says, there will be a messenger who will come, who restore the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers so that I will not have to curse the land. So if our culture is declining, while we can discuss all the peripheral, political, sociological, racial, we can discuss all of those reasons why the culture is declining. But what God says is first, on the front end, where's the man? As you've heard me say, if you're a messed up man and you have a family, you're going to help make a messed up family. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family and your messed up family goes to church, then your messed up family is going to make its contribution to a messed up church. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family resulting in a messed up church and your church is supposed to be the light to the neighborhood, then your messed up church is going to make its contribution to a messed up neighborhood. 
If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood, and your neighborhood's part of a city, well, now your messed up neighborhood's going to make its contribution to a messed up city. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city, and your city's part of the county, well, now your messed up city's going to make its contribution to a messed up county. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city, is part of a messed up county, and your county is part of the state, well, now your messed up county is going to make its contribution to a messed up state. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city, is part of a messed up county, contributing to a messed up state, and your state's part of the country, well, now your messed up state's going to make its contribution to a messed up nation. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city, as part of a messed up county, that's contributing to a messed up state, that contributes to a messed up country, and your country's part of the world, well, now your messed up country is going to make its contribution to a messed up world. So, if you want a better world composed of better countries inhabited by better states, because they're made up of better counties, composed of better cities, inhabited by better neighborhoods, illuminated by better churches that are made up of better families, we got to start by becoming better men. Because it all rests on the position of the man. Amen. Amen. Hey, this has been the Life Podcast Show. We like to filter our thoughts through God's thoughts. We like to filter our perspectives through God's perspectives, and we like to filter our ways through God's ways. I pray this has been a blessing to you. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Hey.